Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. But I felt like the Lord led me last week to, to deal with the Great Commandment and the Great Commission because they are the two sides of, of what we are commanded to do. The great commandment I preached on last week, and I'm not going to go back and go through all of that, but I want to touch one, one scripture, John 13, 34 and 35. This, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. This is the, the, the cardinal sign of the church, that we walk in love towards one another. And I'll be honest with you, uh, as the body of Christ in general, small wars, actually in times past, large wars, were fought over theology, over, over what the scripture said. And, and today, small war, wars, theological wars go on. People are divided over what the Bible means. And I, and I understand that honest people can look at the same scripture and see it from 180 degrees difference in what it means. And both parties are honest and doing their best to approach it and see what God means out of that. There can be honest disagreement about theology. Because when it comes right down to it, we all think we have perfect theology. Because if we didn't, we would, we would, you know, if I knew I was in error in something, I would correct the error. If you can show me something and, 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 and bring light to something that I have seen differently, I will change my theology. But we can differ in our viewpoint of the word and still not be disagreeable. Brother Hagin used to say, we need to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. That's difficult for some people. For some people, when, when, when you come up with a theological difference, they take it personally, and, and they are so invested in their viewpoint that they allow their emotions to get involved, and it should not be so. This is the one commandment that Jesus gave us. By this, by the love that we show, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That is a hard thing to live up to, but I'm seeing more and more. God calls us to do the hard things. He calls us to live courageously. When you, you go back, and, and this is in my notes, I'm not going to go back there, but you can go back and look at the first chapter of Joshua at the number of times. Now, Joshua had a tough job. He's following Moses. How would you like to follow Moses? You're going to lead a nation that, the prophet, to this day, the Jews revere Moses more than any prophet. And yet, Joshua has to come in and follow him up. And several times in Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. It takes courage to do the hard things. 
The world will tell you, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just go this easy way. That's why and we, we had a long discussion yesterday in men's prayer. And I will just tell you, men, um, I realize Saturday morning, sometimes it's tough to wake up. Sometimes it's tough. But I, I, I get more out of Saturday morning, the discussions and the prayers we have. It's the highlight of my week. Because I'm telling you, we get into some we get into some stuff and and it it's good and but but one of the things that that i've seen more and more is there there is a broad way that leads to destruction there is a narrow way that leads to eternal life and the narrow way always requires courage anybody can go the easy way you got to have courage to go the narrow way. You got to have courage because it, you 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 stand out. You are different. If you study wildlife, it's amazing. Um, every zebra, if you know anything about African zebras, every zebra has a a different pattern of their stripes. But when you get a herd of zebra together, predators have a hard time when they're all moving. The the stripes make it hard for a predator to single out a single zebra. Well, you can get lost in the crowd and you don't really want to stand out. Because when you stand out, somehow you become a target. But Jesus calls us to stand out. And in this world today, our world, and especially if, if you look at politics, if you look at popular culture, if you are different... If you have a different point of view, oh man, the attacks are vicious. They're fast. They come hard. They come heavy. I don't care what, what um, um, side of the political spectrum you're on. I don't care what side of the popular culture you are on. If you, if you express yourself and, and you stand out, the attacks are coming. The left will attack the right. The right will attack the left. The liberals, and I'm talking about social policy, the, the, the people, anything goes, will attack those that say, no, we got to have restrictions. Those that, have, that want restrictions will attack those that say anything goes. It's a free-for-all, and it's open warfare. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love, period. The love of Christ. Not easy to do. But then we, we, we also looked, and I'm, I'm going to go back and, and I want to look at um, Acts chapter 2. We were looking at, at Peter's sermon when he was preaching out of Joel. And I'm going to repeat a little bit of this, but I'm going to start in verse 17. In Acts 2 verse 17, this is Peter says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That is, Peter is quoting from the book of Joel when he says this. And basically what he is saying is, I, in, in times past, I have limited myself from Abraham on to using the nation of the Jews to spread my gospel. They haven't done a very good job of it. The Jewish nation was supposed to be evangelistic, and they became restrictive. They became an us and them. We've got it, they don't, and we don't like them. They're not us. 
I'm telling you, when, and, and this goes back to the, the great commandment, when you start seeing yourself as above the fray, I've got, we've got the revelation. Those poor saps out there don't have the revelation. You are walking on thin ice. You are walking, and, and, and God will oppose you when you start doing that. That was half the problem. Now, now Israel had a lot of problems. They, they got into a lot of, of the sins of the surrounding nations. And, and, but if you notice, they had punishment for that. But the, the big reason they went into captivity is they disobeyed God's law. They, they went into captivity in Babylon for 70 years because they did not obey the law of the Sabbath rest for the land. And they went 480 years without giving the land a rest. And God said, okay, you owe it 70 years of rest. So I'm taking you to Babylon for 70 years because the land needs the rest. Wow. God took his children, put them in captivity for 70 years because a piece of dirt needed to rest. It didn't have anything to do with the dirt. It had to do with them learning when God says do something his way, He's not joking. When he says we need to walk in love, we need to walk in love. But he's saying right here, now, today, because of the day of Pentecost, I'm breaking out. I'm not just going to use my chosen people. He's not done using them. Don't make the mistake of thinking God's done with the, with, with the Jews. He's not. He's still going to use them to preach the gospel. In fact, some of the, the most effective preachers of the gospel I know of today are born-again Jews. But, but he's, he's saying, I'm breaking out of this mold. How you have done it in the past is not how we're going to do it in the future. I am going to pour out my spirit on everybody and on your sons and your daughters, male and female. They're going to prophesy. They're going to declare my word. We already read it, Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of his word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I thank God for that second half of that verse. I like light, you know. I've had a few broken toes and jammed toes and stove-up toes in my life. Usually when that happens, it's because I know my house, and I get up in the middle of the night, and i got to go to the restroom, I don't turn the light on, wake everybody up. I just walk. And every once in a while, somebody will reposition something. And my toe will find it, and it's always that little toe. It'll find it, and the next thing you know, you're limping for a week. Why? Because there's no light. His word brings light. It brings illumination. But that second part. He gives understanding to the simple. This is, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand what the Bible says. When he says simple, he's talking about people that are not the brightest bulb in the, in the land. It's not IQ that helps you to understand the Word. It's just being a willing heart and saying, God, show me this. When you're open to, to hear Him, when you're open to look in His Word and get revelation, He wants you to know it more than you want to know it. But then He goes on. He says, your young men will see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. He's, he's breaking down all of the barriers. 
We always exert these barriers and, and, and erect them. This, these people can learn, these people can't. If you're not educated, if you don't have these, these qualifications, this education level, then you really can't be used. No. Again, it's a willing heart. It's, it's, it's opening yourself and saying, God, I just want you. And he says, I don't care whether you're, you're male or female. That's sons or daughters. I don't care if you're, if you're young or old. Ed Cole used to say this. The sin of youth is lust. You want everything. Your hormones are raging. You, you want to experience life. The sin of middle age is busyness. You got the kids. You're running. You're going. You're doing. You know, you got, you're advancing in your career. And I forget what the, the, the next one was, but then the, the sin of old age is I know it all. I've been there. I've done that. I know how it works. And that's just as bad as any of the others because you don't know how it works. You've never been at this place before. You've never been there. You may have seen things similar to it, and you may have acquired some knowledge, but it's different today. And you need to be open to God for every situation. How's this one going to work? And then the other, for me, the other one I see with, with old age is, I'm tired. I've done it all. I don't, I've done my stint. I've done my work. I did my, you know, I did my, my, my service, and I'm out. I, I went into the service, and I wore the uniform, and I did my four years or my eight years, my ten years, my twenty, and I'm out now. When you put on the uniform of being a believer in Jesus Christ, you never get discharged. Never. I don't care whether you're 40, 60, 100 years old. God's still got something for you to do. In fact, I'll be honest with you, some of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever met have been in their, in, in their elderly years. And they just devote hours and hours and hours to prayer. And most of them, the ones that, are, that, that really seem to, to do things, they'll just tell you, I, just, I don't get anything accomplished anymore. I feel so, so useless. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? Put me on your prayer list. I've seen you pray. I've heard you pray. God is never done with us. But then in, in verse 18... Let's go on, because I want to get to the Great Commission. Verse 18, in, in back in Acts 2, And on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What you see in, in, in verse uh, 17, 18 through 21 is, is the church age. God starts it by throwing out all of the divisions and saying, I'm, I'm raising up a brand new group. They're going to be my church, my body in the earth. And I'm going to anoint them. I'm pouring my spirit out on these people. And all the divisions are, are gone. I'm going to use anybody that has a willing heart. And not only that, but verse 19 and, and, and 20 say that I'm going to come and get involved. You can, you can do a technical study on what all those things mean and how they will manifest in the last days. But basically what 19 and, verse 19 and 20 are saying is God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to make a difference. 
You may think that I'm just going to preach some words here and, and maybe I can persuade some people, but I'm telling you, when God shows up and things start changing and the anointing falls and His presence falls, things happen that you can't explain. And that's what, that, what we, to be honest with you, if you want to pray prayers, pray for, for, for verse 19 and 20 to be manifest in your life every day. God, every time I speak your word, I want you to show up. I want you to anoint those words. When I lay hands on the sick, I expect people to recover. Most Christians I know, they're afraid to lay hands on the sick well, because what if, what if they don't recover? What if they do? I mean, Lord have mercy, when God starts showing up, then you get to verse 21. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is available. And that word saved there is the Greek word sozo. It's translated salvation. It's translated healing. It's translated deliverance. It's translated as health. All of those things are involved in salvation. Salvation is not a pie in the sky by and by. It's not when I die, I get to go to heaven, but right now I'm going to sweat it out like just normal, natural people. Paul rebuked the Corinthians church. He said, you're acting like mere men. What do you mean act like mere men? You're not a mere man. You're not just a natural person. You're, you're a son of God. You have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. We need to be different. We need to show the world that we are not the same and not be different by being haughty, not being different by saying, I'm better than you, by being different by jumping down in the ditch with them and helping them to pull them out. When somebody's crying, just walk over and put your arm around them and say, what's going on? Can I help? And if I can't help, at least I can pray. And if I can't, if I don't know how to pray, I'll just sit here with you. I'll just commiserate with you. I'll cry a little. I've cried with people before, and I didn't even know what I was crying about. I just got touched by, by what hurt them. Think of Jesus when he went to Mary and Martha's house, and Lazarus was dead. It says Jesus wept. Every, every Bible student in, in, in middle school, in junior high, that's their favorite verse. You got to memorize a verse. Well, I got that one. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? He, know he, he knew he went to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows this is a temporary condition. He's not mourning Lazarus. He doesn't care that Lazarus has been in the grave four days, that his body's rotten and stinking. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. So why is he crying? Because Mary and Martha are hurting, and he hurts with them. When one of us hurts, everybody ought to hurt. If you don't feel the compassion for people that hurt, i got to tell you, I question whether you're saved. Now, I know that sounds hard, but I'll tell you, part of the problem is not necessarily that you're not saved, but you go back and read the parable of the sower. Jesus is very clear in the parable of the sower. He says that when the good seed is sowed into the good ground, it's the cares of this world that... And, and that cares of this world means the distractions of the world. You get caught up with all the stuff. How am I going to make my car payment? What, what, you know, I missed my show last night. How, am I going to be able to get that on, on, on uh, Hulu or Netflix or whatever? I want to see how it ended. Is that what we occupy our time with? 
Unfortunately, for, for a lot of us, that is. That's where we are, and that's why we, we don't have the compassion for people, and we, don't, we, don't, we aren't touched with, with their infirmities because we're distracted with natural stuff that never going to amount to a hill of beans. God is saying here, get involved with me and get involved with eternal things. He said it. You, you read verse 17 through 21. Jesus summed it up in, in Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every, every creature. Now, the big question is, what does he mean by the gospel? Because you'll even get arguments over that. And I'm, let me give you an example here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this quickly because I don't want to belabor things today. But in Acts chapter 20, this is, uh, um, Paul has been going about preaching, teaching, doing what Paul does. But everywhere Paul goes, every church he goes to, prophets stand up and say, Paul, you're heading to Jerusalem. You're going to die there. They're going to take you captive, and they're going to kill you. And Paul said, I'm going anyway. The church of Jerusalem is hurting, and I've got things that I can, can do to help them, and I'm going. I don't care if it costs me my life. Paul did not care. All he cared about was doing God's will. If it cost him his life, it cost him his life. Well, in, chapter two, in, in, in Acts 20, this is Paul. He's gathered all of the elders uh, from Ephesus around him. And when it says Ephesus, it's talking about the region around Ephesus. And he's, he's talking to them, but he's, he's, in his mind, he knows this may be the last time I ever get to put anything into these men's lives. If you know this is your parting shot, you're going to choose your words wisely. I remember when, when and I was pretty backslid at this point, but my mother was was dying of ovarian cancer she was a skeleton but she called my little brother and i in separately into her room and i'm telling you she looked at me those eyes she might have been weak and sick but those eyes bore through me and the message she gave me haunted me for years till i turned my life around because that's what she said basically the message she gave me was I'm going to be dead in a few weeks, and I'm going to heaven, and you better follow me. You know better than to live the way you're living, and you better get your life straightened out, and you better get right with Jesus. And I'm telling you, it, it, it affected me. Paul's in the same spot. He doesn't know if he's going to see these men again or not. He's poured his, his life into these men for years, started churches all over the, 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 the area around Ephesus. But, but in, in, I want to just catch one thing here. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, I just said I'm going to try to get done quickly because I don't want to belabor things. Wouldn't you love to have Paul for a, for a pastor? He went from, this is the first day, and he's going to preach till midnight. He preached in one place till the kid in the window fell asleep and fell off the, out of the second-story window, and they had to raise him from the dead. I know occasionally some of you may nod off, 
people used to tell me, I'm so sorry, I was having a hard time. Look, I've been in the pews. I know how it is. When, when you work hard and you don't get enough sleep, when you sit for more than five minutes, it's hard to keep those eyes open sometimes. I do not take it personal when I see your head doing this. Paul's going to preach all day. Why? Because this is his last shot. But what I want you to notice is their meeting on the first day of the week. We call, this is Sunday, we call this, this is the first day of the week, we call this the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. The Sabbath ends the week. The Old Testament commands us to worship God on the Sabbath. So why don't we? Why do we meet on the first day of the week? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, every day for us is a Sabbath because we are resting in Christ. And just in, 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 if you read through the, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, the seventh day has never ended. There are six days of creation, and then there's the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is continuing. We, we ought to walk in the Sabbath every day of the week. Now, that does not mean... That, there, that we shouldn't have a practice of taking one day a week and resting. Because I'll be honest with you, for most people, if you want to know why things go wrong in your body and why you're having a problem, probably 90% of our physical problems relate to overwork, being tired, and being exhausted. Because you never stop. You just run, 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 because we're good Americans. And for most people, being an American is, is more powerful than obeying God's word. I mean, it was a radical thing for the Jews to say, we're taking one day a week off. Remember, they lived in a time where if, if your crops failed, you may not make it through the winter. You may, you're going to lose kids. You may lose your own life. So working seven, taking one day a week, Wow. God said, trust me in this. If you'll rest one day a week, give me one day just to follow after me, I will bless the other six days and you'll, have, you'll get more out of it than, than you would if you worked seven days a week. But for us, every day is a Sabbath. But in the same way, we, we also, if you look at the, the, the Jews' numbered years and every 50th year, you had the Jubilee. Well, we don't ce celebrate jubilees anymore. Why? Because we're, every year is a jubilee year for us as Christians. Because Jesus has already done, conquered everything and restored everything. So why do we as Christians meet on the first day of the week? Because the emphasis of our meetings, the emphasis of our coming together is the resurrection and resurrection life. And that happened on the first day of the week when Jesus came out of the grave. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but for a lot of churches, for a lot of Christians, all of their emphasis is on the cross. Resurrection couldn't happen without the cross. But the cross without the re resurrection is worthless. It's by the resurrection. I've heard people, I've heard theologians, people with Ph.D. behind their name studying the Bible say that, Jesus doing all of his miracles in, in, in his three years of ministry proved that he was God. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says it very clearly. Jesus was declared to be God by the resurrection. It's the resurrection from the dead that declared that, that death 
was killed, that sin was conquered, that, that, that sickness was conquered. Jesus had to pay the price for our sin. But there was more that went on in, in the death and the burial of Jesus than just paying the price for sin. When Jesus paid the price for our sin, he then had a second part of that, that he conquered hell. And when you think of hell, it's not just that he conquered Satan, which he did. He defeated him personally, one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano. He, he defeated him. The, the picture that the Bible gives is of a Roman emperor who goes off for battle and he conquers a nation and he takes the king and they would cut the king's thumbs off and he would cut his big toes off. You cut the thumb off because you can never hold a sword again. You can hold it, but you can't fight with it. Without that thumb, you can't hold the sword in battle. And you cut the big toe off, you can never run effectively again. And then he would bring him back to Rome, and he would clamp an iron collar around his neck and put a chain on it, and the commanding general would, would be in his chariot with this king behind him, dragging him. If he stumbled, they literally would drag him by the neck. And he put him on open display to the entire world. This is what your champion is like compared to me. It says that Jesus made a show of Satan openly within hell. He drug him around and showed him to every demon, every fallen angel, and said, this is your champion, and I have defeated him. And he's bound. He can only do what I say. He says, I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus controls hell now. But when he conquered Satan, at the same time, this was, this was one act, but, but in that act, he conquered the leader, but he also conquered death. He also conquered sin, and, and, and death and sin brought in, in, made an entrance into the world for sickness. So all of those things were conquered. We, we have it in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm, I don't, I'm not, don't have time to read all of this, but, but in verse 50 through um, 53, he's talking about what happens when Jesus returns physically to the earth. When he comes back for his church, the incorruptible bodies that we have now are going to put on incorruption. This body that I have, that I walk about in, is mortal. Now, the great news is, if you read Romans 8, Paul said in Romans 8 that if, if, if you're saved, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit will give life, zoe, the God kind of life, to your mortal body. Not my new resurrection body, my mortal body, this body that's subject to death. Jesus will give it life, and that life will drive out sickness. That's part of the reason that we have a right to ask God, I believe that you have healed my body because I have his spirit on the inside of me. Do you realize Jesus has, still has the wound in his side? He still has the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet from his crucifixion. He has no blood in his body. His blood is on the altar in heaven, crying out. In the same way that Abel's blood cried out from the earth and said, Vengeance, revenge me, God. And God punished Cain because of Abel's blood. Jesus' blood is sitting on the altar, and it cries out 24 hours a day. Mercy, mercy, mercy. 
thank God it does. But do you realize his body has no blood? So how is he alive? How does that body function? The Old Testament says the, the life of the animal is in the blood. That's why they were prohibited from drinking the blood of any, any animal they killed. His life has body because he's filled with the Holy Spirit also. The Spirit of God, his, the, 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 the second person of the Godhead, when, when he, the price for our sin was, was paid and he had conquered death and hell, he reanimated that body and his life gives that body life. Still wounded, still has a hole in his lungs and in his heart, does not have any blood flowing through his body, but it's functioning perfectly and has lived for 2,000 years in heaven. And we think that something like cancer is, is, is hard to, for God to deal with. We have such a poor view and, and such a limited view of what the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is capable of doing. Jesus' spirit, that he is the second person of the Godhead, but that spirit that of his has animated that body. For 2,000 years, and it has not aged, and it works perfectly, and it will work for all eternity. And we have that same spirit in us. But notice what in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about taking this mortal body. When Jesus comes, we're going to get an immortal body. Now, I got scars. I've had so many surgeries, and I, I'm one of those people. I have one scar on the back of my hand. I remember when I got it cut, I was, in, I was working in industry, and it barely bled. The thing I scraped it on was razor sharp, and it, it just had a couple little spots of, of blood, but it was cut through the skin. I've still got a scar. It's been 40 years since I cut that thing, and I've still got scars. But when I get in this new incorruptible body, no scars. None at all. It's going to be brand new, and it'll live forever. But after he's described that in verse 54, he says, So when this, when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, or Paul here, could say that the ultimate end of this, of, of this whole operation of the church is when Jesus comes back for his church, the dead will rise with incorruptible bodies. Those of us that are alive when, when that happens, we'll meet him in the air, and some, somewhere between the ground and the air, this corruptible body will put on incorruption, and I'll get a brand new body. But he's saying this, remember, this, this, is, this is quoting, he's quoting two, ver, two sets of verses. One is in Isaiah, and one is Hosea. He's quoting Old Testament verses that ask the question, death, where is your sting? Where's your victory? He declares, Isaiah declares, death is swallowed up in victory. How was it swallowed up in victory before Jesus ever came? Because even the old covenant people, Israel under the old covenant, looking forward to a Messiah that was going to come, had a legal right to say, the Messiah is going to conquer death, therefore I can walk in victory over death. does not mean that I'm, I will never die. 
That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the manifestations of, of, of death. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Death has no victory over me. Why, how can it not have any victory over me if I'm going to die? Because I will never die. This old body will die. And I'll be honest with you, there are days, last night was one of them. Like every 15 minutes, I, either one hip or the other hip got tired of me laying on it because I'm a side sleeper, and the pain in one of the hips said, it's time to roll, and it'd wake me up. And after about the, the two, three hours of doing that every 10, 15 minutes, it's like, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of all the aches and the pains and the creaks and the cracks. Bend down, and it sounds like, you know, you're breaking a bunch of twigs. I'm tired of this corruptible body. I want to go to the new one. This body may die, but I cannot die because I'm already dead. I died in Christ, and now he resurrected me to new life, and I will never die again. Death has no sting for me. Death has no victory for me. Now, when you have a loved one die, don't, don't be so foolish. And I've heard people criticize Christians. Well, I don't know why these Christians are, 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 are crying. Their loved one's in heaven. You're not crying because they're in heaven. You're crying because they're not with you and you miss them. I can tell you, my, I, I remember, and I, I hate to even admit I was this stupid. I just mentioned a minute ago that my mom died. She was, and I can't remember now, 53 or 54. I was in my mid-20s. And I remember thinking, well, at least she'd, she had lived a long, good life. Because I thought, mid-50s, that's pretty old. We were joking around yesterday about looking back on our 40s and 50s. I said, I, you realize that you're getting a little older when you look at 40 as being young. I remember turning 40, and my brother, brother-in-laws had a huge party, and all of the balloons were black because I was over the hill. And I'm thinking, wow, I'd like to go back to that 40-year-old body. It worked a whole lot better than this 68-year-old body. But I am, I, the inside man in me, compared to where I was at 40, I'm stronger. I'm, I'm, I'm younger in, in one sense. I know more of the word. I walk in a greater revelation today. Death cannot win over me. I don't approach death out of fear. I don't want to die because I'm not done. For one thing, I'm not done, I'm not done with the ministry God's given me. But I also got I got grandkids and I want to see I got grandkids, but I want to see great grandkids. And I don't even mind if I hang around long enough to see some great great grandkids. I just don't want my grandkids to start when I started. Wait a while. But notice, I, I want you to notice this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close real quick with this. Isaiah 25, this is where Paul's quoting the first part of this verse. Isaiah 25, we're going to start in verse 6. This is Isaiah speaking. He said, in this mountain, that is Mount Zion that he's talking about, which is a type of the church. We are Mount Zion. We are that city set on a hill says, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. Twice in that verse, he talks about wines on the lees. When, when you make wine, there's sediments in that wine. And if, 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 you, if you are, are um, 
The better wine you let sit for a long period of time and all those sediments will settle out and they will harden on the body so that when you go to pour the wine, the sediments don't get out. It's kind of like if you uh, drink coffee, there's nothing worse than you get to the last little bit of the coffee in your cup and when you take that sip, you get a mouthful of grounds. It's like, yuck, you got to start digging those grounds out because they're not tasteful. Well, wine is the same way. When you get the sediment in with your with your wine, it spoils the wine. Expensive wines is wines on the lees. They let it sit for a long period of time and they settle and get a, a hardened so that they don't get mixed up. He's saying we're going to have the finest wines. We're going to have the choicest pieces. When it says of the fat things full of marrow, you have to understand these people didn't take vitamins. They didn't have vitamin pills. And vitamin deficiencies were a real problem in, in ancient peoples. So when, when you ate bones, if you had large bones, you would crack those bones out and you would suck the marrow out of it because it had a lot of iron. You ate the, the liver. You ate the organ meats because they had nutrients that you needed. In, in, and so, but, but those were more expensive. So what he's de- de- describing here is a feast where you got all the best. This is, the, this is the good stuff. And then on, on, in verse 7 it says, And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people. The covering that he's going to destroy is, is this, this mask that keeps people that Paul talks about in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says of the Jews that they, 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 when Moses came off the mountain, they told him to put a veil over his face so the glory of God wouldn't shine out. And he said now that they, the, the gospel is, un, is unveiled, they put a veil over their own face. They, they put blinders on because they don't want to see the truth. Most of the world puts blinders on. They don't want to hear what you have to say. But you can pray those blinders off. You can, you can bind the enemy and, al- and allow the entrance of the word to come in. That's what Jesus is saying here. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the, pe- the people and the veil that is spread over all nations. But this is the, the fun part, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day. What day is this? It's the day after Jesus' resurrection. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what when, in, when Peter was preaching out of, the, out of Joel, at the end he said, salvation has come. Salvation is now available. And then the, the, the last part of that verse, he quoted out of Hosea 13, verse 14. This is even better. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Now, in, in, in context, when you read that in Hosea, God's speaking to Israel and he's saying, there are some sins here that you all have committed as a nation that you're going to receive punishment for. But in a, in, in a looking forward to the New Testament, what God's speaking here right now is speaking of what Jesus is going to face at the cross. 
and through his death. He's saying, O death, I will be your plagues. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took upon him every sickness and every disease that had ever existed. He paid the price for that. When it says, O grave, I will be your destruction, he said, I am going to die and enter that grave myself. But then when, he, when the price for all of that was paid, because it was our sin and our death that he was there for, when that was paid, there was nothing that could hold him. And then he turned it around on the devil. And he, he, it became their destruction. But when it says, pity is hidden from my eyes, the father had no pity on the son. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have no idea what that really means, but I do know this. There was something that broke between the second person of the Godhead and the Father. He had become sin. He had become sickness, and the Father wouldn't look on him. And it says right here in Hosea, I will have no pity on you. Why? Because Jesus had to pay the price. He had decided this is the route I'm taking, and I'm going to pay it all. But when it was paid... Then hell paid, because he ransacked that place. He said, I've, I've paid their debt. Now you owe me, because you declared, Satan declared it, Isaiah chapter 14. Satan said, I've got a throne here, and you've got a throne up here. I'm God of this world, little g. You're God, big G of the universe. But I'm going to take my throne, exalt it above your throne. And he attempted it, and he fell. He took a third of the angels with him. And after the price of our sin was paid for, Jesus said, now it's time of reckoning. You said you would exalt your throne above our throne. Mm -mm. Now I'm going to pay, pay you back. He had, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, had, had wreaked havoc for thousands of years with people, brought death, destruction, disease, evil, destroyed people. And as much as God poured out his wrath on Jesus for our sin, when Jesus when that price was paid and Jesus came back to his glory, he wreaked that much havoc plus some on the devil for what he had done through all of that time. But here here's the thing because this was our initial question. What does it mean by that when it says you will preach the gospel? That's what we preach. Gospel literally means good news. And you can, well, what, what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus paid the price for every sin, for every sickness, for death itself, and he resurrected, and he is now king of the universe. It's a proclamation. It's not a begging. Would you please just accept Jesus and ask him into your heart? No, it's a declaration to the world. Jesus is king of the universe. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you believe it or don't believe it, he is king of the universe. And you have a choice, join him or fight him. If you join him, here's the great news. He's going to exalt you to his throne. And you will be seated with him in heavenly places. He will make you a king of kings. You will rule and reign with him in this world right now. He will give you power over death, over sin, over sickness. You can go out and harvest and, and, and rescue other people. 
It's the greatest call, the greatest job in the world. Can you imagine working a job where, where you had tough rescues to do? You had to repel up mountains or down mountains or crawl into places and dig people out that were about to lose their life, and you got them out and saved their life. Can you imagine how good that would feel when you got done? You carried that little kid out of the burning house, giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation the whole way out, and they're, they're, they're recovering now, and they're going to live a long life because of you. That's what he's called us to do. Go out into the highways and the byways and say, Look, Jesus is Lord. Emperor Nero may say he's Lord, but he's not. The Democrats may say, We rule this nation. The Republicans may say, We rule this nation. The Libertarians, the Communists, you name your party. We rule this nation. No, they don't. Jesus rules this nation. Jesus rules the entire world. He is king of the universe, and we serve with him. And we need to go proclaim that to people, that he is alive. And he wants you to come join him so you can rule and reign. It's not a a, a message that's mamby-pamby. It's a declarative thing. You have this. He conquered it. He's offering it to you. Come on in. But no coming in, you're replacing Moses. Jesus ruled and reigned in this life when he was here. Now he's called us to rule and reign in his place as his body. What? I, I, I got to rule and reign like Jesus? I'm not Jesus. No, you're not, but you do have a spirit. He's recreated you, made you perfect. He's, he's filled you with his word. With his spirit, he's anointed you. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. <clears throat> well, I don't know if I can do that. Go back and read Joshua again. Be of good courage. It's going to take courage to walk the way Jesus called us to walk. It's not for the faint at heart. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.